trials may come from day to day heartache and sorrows may come my way but nothing can stop me from holding on with Jesus
I can't go back and hold my little boys. I can't hold them on their knees. I have one shot. Not today. He said, I want to encourage. Lift up that holy name of Jesus Christ. You have one shot. Paul ran that race. He ran the race. He finished his course. How about us? Oh, Lord, I have one shot. I have one race. Help me, Lord Jesus Christ. And he will. It's all through him. Well, glory. Praise God. It's him. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going on. I'm going on. I'm going on toward the bar.
Oh, man.
Break every chain, break 
today if you got your Bible. I'm not going to spend a long time because I know it's getting late quick. Sometimes I'm not sure if it's if I was going to get to preach or not or if I was supposed to preach or not. But it must be meant to be. So you'll just have to put up with me again. Praise God. I want you to turn to John the 8th chapter. God laid something on my mind a couple of weeks ago, and I want to bring it out the best that I understand it. It kind of seems like it's talking about one thing. You're thinking I'm preaching on the one subject, and you're going to find out it's not always what's in the front of it. It's what's behind it. And I want you to hear that because God teaches me. He still teaches me every day. Every time I read it, I realize God's got me there for a reason. There's a depth in there that God wants us to see things. And I thank him for that because I remember my father and mother correcting me a lot of times, tell me stuff, and sometimes it went in here and one out the other, and sometimes it went right over my head. I didn't understand what they were talking about. I just smiled and shook my head yes and acted like I was okay, you know. But the real truth is I didn't get it. But God had an appointed time. He would show me what they meant back then. And sometimes you have to live a little life. But in this John, the eighth chapter, I want to spend a little time in John just for a few minutes here. But because of what John wrote, I want you to hear what Jesus is doing during this time. It says in the first verse of John 8, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. How many gets that picture? You get the picture of Jesus coming to the temple, sitting down and talking to the people. He's preaching what the Father sent him to bring. He's the Messiah, the messenger. He's bringing the message. But here comes the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees. And I want you to hear it. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? How many knows? Listen to what he says in the next verse. It says, This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. I want you to stop there a minute. I want to ask you a question. How many understands what adultery means? Okay, this is a hairy subject. Nobody wants to talk about. So I'm going to give you a definition. It's the sexual unfaithfulness of a husband or a wife. Now that can cover a lot of ground, but it's sexual unfaithfulness of a husband or wife. That's called adultery. But it's not the word adultery that I'm trying to bring out to you. I know that everybody here just about understands what I just said. But I want to bring out where the word adultery came from. 
The word adultery comes from a word called adulterate. To adulterate something means to make lower in quality by adding inferior or impure materials. Wow. That's a mouthful. I don't know if you understand what I just said. But when you adulterate something, it's like taking, uh, I remember them telling the other day on one of those shows about the Titanic. And they showed and they're constantly trying to figure out what caused the Titanic ship to sink. One of the stories was the metal was fine on the side of the ship. It was a good strong steel. The other, the other problem, the problem with that was when they put those sheets together, they came and used a new type of a button or a plug to plug them together, to seal them together. But they used a different metal on the buttons, on the plugs that they stuck the metal together. They used it and they diluted it. They made it less powerful, less strong. Now think about it. You know what? When you eat too much food, your buttons will pop. When the Titanic got under pressure, the buttons popped. And that's why the side of the ship ripped open. That's why they could not stop it. The water come in. I want you to understand something. When you dilute the quality, when you adulterate something, you've reduced the quality of what, what happened. If it's a marriage and you uh, cheat on your wife or your husband, guess what? You have caused an adultery. You've adulterated the relationship between you two. You have brought it lower. How many, here's what I'm saying. I want you to understand that because, see, the real truth is we're adulterating our relationship with God. And I want you to hear it. I want you to hear what I'm talking about. Because, see, I, I'm not picking at nobody. You, you got your own life to live. You got your own relationship. And you know Hollywood don't teach us that adultery is even wrong anymore. They don't even teach you to get married. How can you be an adulteress? It's like, they, how can you cheat on your wife or your husband? They don't even marry each other. And it's worked into the church. You know it and I know it. But it is a quality. You have reduced the quality of what it is. You've reduced your relationship with your wife or your husband if you're committing adultery. I know it's a serious thing. And it's devastating to the marriage. But can I tell you, it's the same thing to your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Hear what I'm telling you, Jesus paid a great price to bring us back to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. The enemy doesn't care how many times you go to church. He don't care how much money the church has got. He don't care about how famous you are. But he cares when you try to walk a holy walk with God. He cares when all you concern is, Lord, I want to be with you every day. I want you in my life every day of my life. I want to keep you close. Connie taught on it this morning about that relationship, about that holding on to Jesus, letting the Holy Spirit do his work in you, the very presence of God in you. On down to verse 7. 
of John 8. He says, so when they continued asking him, he lifted himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. How many knows there wasn't nobody there that day that had the right to point the finger at somebody else and be self-righteous. All have sinned, come short. How many knows the only the Son of God could have said, yes, the law says you're to be stoned, and only he could have picked up a stone and thrown at her and been justified because the law pre teaches against it. Moses' law taught against it. Yeah, they knew the law. But when Jesus got down and wrote in the sand, some believe he started writing their names and maybe some of the things they were guilty of, those standing there in judgment of that woman. How many knows God's a God of second chance? How many knows God loves us? God's working on us every day of our life. He's working on us to keep that relationship and to get those things out of the way that get in our way to stop us from walking with God. He goes on to say, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, verse 9, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted him up, lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man, no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now what struck me in this whole thing was, and I'm going to get to it. Go and sin no more. Don't tell me Jesus saved you to go back into your sin. Because see, you're taken from the relationship that the Savior paid to put you in. And you're stepping right back into the sin that destroyed your relationship with your Heavenly Father to start with. We got set free from sin. And the church and the world says, everybody's got sin, so don't worry about it. You're all right anyway. Your sin ain't as bad as so-and-so's sin. And we look across this way instead of looking at him. I mean, here's what I'm telling you. We got to be serious about this relationship with our Heavenly Father. We got to be serious about the Holy Spirit that wants to dwell with us every day and live in here and be welcome in our hearts and in our life. Go and sin no more. Back in Exodus, the 20th chapter, and I don't want you to turn there. I got one verse, real short one. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. It says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, the reason I'm reading that, because I don't want you to, I want you to understand what God was saying all the beginning. Don't adulterate your relationship with the Father. He put that down as don't have no other gods because we are turning ourselves to everything. If the doctor says you're sick, you just settle it in your mind, I'm sick. And if the doctor tells you to 
to do three flips and, and you'll land on your uh, nose and that'll fix your nose. If he tells you that, we believe it. We're looking to the educated, to the technology, to everything else, and we forgot that the God that we serve has power to heal. We don't trust him. We wait for the doctor's example. Tell me, doc, what I can do. Give me that pill that fixes me. How many knows when my father was leaving this life, all of us kids could get together and we'd say, what can we do? What can we, where can we take him? What doctor's a good doctor? But how many knows pretty soon as we look back at it, we realized the handwriting was on the wall. Papa was going home. And we had to accept that Jesus has got him. He's got him in his hand. Bill, he's got to finish his race. We can't stop that. I can't stop what God chose. God chose to do what he did. We, we wanted to fix him. We wanted somebody with all this wisdom and all the money they pushed toward those things to fix us. And it wasn't doing one bit of good for my daddy. But it's okay. Jesus tells us, trust him. He keeps telling us, our faith is right here. Right in what he said. I want you to look back three chapters. Chapter 5 of John. And I want you to listen to one verse I'm going to read out of there. This is Jesus. He came to the pool of Bethesda. And he came up to a, in what they call an impotent man. I don't mean he wasn't important. He was impotent. He didn't have no power in his legs. He couldn't stand. Well, he had palsy or whatever they called it, but he could not. He might have been paralyzed, but he could not get up and get to the water when it was stirred, Sue was talking about. He couldn't get into the pool, but everybody else beat him in there. But Jesus didn't even comment too much about the pool or anything else going on there. So don't get your eyes on anything else. Remember, it's Jesus. Because when Jesus walked up to this man, he looked at him and it said, do you want to be made whole? And he goes into this story about, I ain't got nobody to help me get in the water. Jesus didn't ask him that question. And Jesus lifted him up and healed him. And he went off a new man. Later on, Jesus meets him in the temple and listen to what he says to him he says in the 14th verse after Jesus finds him in the temple he said unto him behold thou art made whole do what sin no more uh oh now we're getting into a little doctrinal problems here because see everybody thinks you can look at your brother or your sister and say, well, what in the world sin are they in? Because they're obviously really bad sick. Must have done some bad things. God must really be punishing them. And I'm going to tell you something. That ain't what God's doing here at all. But he says here in this story, and I want you to hear it. He says, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Uh-oh, now we're getting into the fact that there are some sick that did come from sin. Uh-oh, you don't want to hear that. Did you know your sin will drive you to the place where all of a sudden you find yourself not blessed by God, not 
walking in him, and eventually things will come and fall apart. You'll wonder, why God let this happen to me? And we refuse to turn from our sin. How many knows what I'm saying? Now you're looking at Jesus. He said two stories. He tells them one place, go and sin no more. The next time he says, sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. I mean, here's what I'm saying. Okay, that's all I want to talk about in that. Because I want you to turn to chapter 9 real quick. And I'm just going to read three verses in chapter 9. Chapter 9 of John. Because you got to hear, listen to me, you got to hear that the disciples are listening to what Jesus is saying. They're hearing what he's doing. They know the comments that he's making to the people that he's healing. Listen to what he says. Chapter 9, verse 1. And Jesus passed by and saw a man which was born, which was blind from his birth. Born blind. Listen to him. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? How many knows? That's, that's man. Man's got judgment for you. They got self-righteous judgment right off the bat that you ain't doing what's right. Obviously, or you wouldn't have this problem. But Jesus looked at him and said, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In the one case in the fifth chapter, the case was sin brought on the sickness. But in this case right here, the sickness was not brought on by the sin. It wasn't his parents and it wasn't him that caused him to be blind. Now, you can say sin is what brought all sickness in. I know you can go back to, to the beginning and you can find God would, would keep us completely uh, safe and healed if we'd have been still in the Garden of Eden with a tree of life. But we lost that a long time ago. Jesus paid for it. Jesus gave us healing. But healing's in him. It's not in him and the doctor. You pray for everything you do. You pray about everything you do. But listen to me, there is no doctor that stands up next to God. There's no medicine that stands up next to God. God is the one that you look to. If our faith is not in him, he knows it. If all you got on your mind is I got to get the computer and find out what's wrong and how to fix me. Let me tell you something. You need to go to Jesus first. You need to fall on your face and say, Lord... Whatever you're doing, whether I'm guilty, you got to be like Job. you got to say, whatever I did, bring it to me. Bring it to me, Lord, whatever I did. I'll repent. You show me, Lord. How many knows you got to be open with God? God's not playing games with sin because sin is destructive to his people. Neither at this man's sin, but at the works of God. All the way back in Isaiah, I want you to understand something. Because you're healthy doesn't mean that you have all of it together and everybody else has got problems. Listen to me. Some people's got health. Some people's got healthy families. Some people, like this blind man and his parents, dealt with a blind son all their life. Some have dealt with problems you may have never had. 
and you don't even want to even look. You don't even want, I don't, I don't like those commercials where they show people on there starving and they show little children with their bellies swelled. I don't like to watch that. It, it upsets me. Yet at the same time, I realize they're using those to get your money. I don't know that they care at all about those kids. But, and I'm not trying to pick at people. Don't shut up your bowels of compassion toward people. But I look, I will turn to this one verse in Isaiah 53. And I wanted to read this one verse. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. There ain't none of us good. How many knows you ain't good? You may think you're good. You may think you're good enough. But see, even us Christians, Larry said it many times, repentance is our, our friend. We come to him and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't done what I'm supposed to do today. I haven't lived like I should have lived today. Lord, help me. Help me walk this walk. I can't do this on my own, Lord. It's bigger than my flesh. The enemy puts me down. My flesh puts me down. The world puts me down. But you're the only thing that lifts me up. You're my answer. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his, what? His own way. And the Lord had laid on him, talk about the Savior, the iniquity of us all. He's laid it on Jesus. He's not only our Savior, he's our healer. He's all things. He's our guide. He's the one that we hold on to even in the face of death. There ain't nothing the enemy can do to you that God don't have his eye on you. You're his child. Paul said it in Romans as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that do good, no, not one. And on down to verse 23, it says, All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. So we're all in that place where we need Jesus every day. You can't rely on yourself. You'll fall short. You'll fall weak to it. I praise God for the grace of God. The grace that keeps me. Because sometimes I have to get on my knees and say, Lord, look beyond my faults and see my needs. Take me through the next few days. Lord, I'm facing some problems. I've got some troubles in my home or troubles in my family. Take me through them, Lord. I'm watching for you to show me what to say or what to do. I can't fix it, Lord, but you can. God is a God of second chance. There's not a one of us here that didn't get a chance. Many of us has had many chances. Many of us have failed God many times. But God is still working on you. All the way back in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the second chapter, Andy read this a couple weeks ago on Sunday night. And Andy, I'm not stealing it from you, but I got to use it. 
It's talking about in Jeremiah, the second chapter. I want you to look at verse 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, talking to Jeremiah, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember thee. How many knows God sent his prophet to talk to Israel, his people? Guess what his people were at? They were at a place where they have walked away from God. Now listen to what I'm telling you. You ever have you ever have a child you know they're not doing right, but mommy, you'll just brag on them. You'll just smile. Oh, that's my little baby. He wouldn't do nothing bad. I can remember going into a boy's house one time when I was a teenager. I went into this boy's house, and his mother found cigarettes in his pocket. Back then, that was a big sin. He found a cigarette in his pocket. And you know what he told his mother? That friend of mine stuck that in there. He's, he's always trying to do that stuff to me, Mom. And his mom said, I know you wouldn't do that, honey. And I'm about to throw up. I knew the truth. I was weaseled right back out there with him, and I thought, that poor mother, she really blinded it. But can I tell you, I don't think the mother was so blind. I think she knew how to bring the guilt she knew how to bring conviction upon him. Let me hear what I'm saying. See, God remembers the times we've been on our knees and we cried out to him. And how he came and he filled the church and he saved our loved ones and he drawled us. And you know, we got that going on inside all the time. The enemy's trying to get us, lure us out into the world and get a hold of something else out there to get us away from God. But God remembers the times and you remember the times that God has blessed your home, blessed your life, answered your prayers. I mean, here's what I'm saying. But yet here, listen to what God is saying through Jeremiah. He said, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousal. When thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend, shall offend. Evil shall come upon them. Those that come against Israel, evil came upon them. Why? Because they were God's people. How many knows there ain't nothing can come against God's people? Not if, God, not if God's holding us up. Not if we're trusting God. And it says here, hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what iniquity, listen to what God is having Jeremiah to ask him. What iniquity have your fathers found in me? You ain't found nothing wrong in God, have you? He's perfect. He ain't never done anything wrong to us. Listen to this. What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked in vanity and become vain? Israel had no excuse. Everything, everywhere they'd ever been, everything that they had, God had put it into their hands. He'd made the way. Everything that you have in your life. See, I know some of you before you got saved. And can I tell you, I know what God has did in your life. 
you can look back and know I was on the road of destruction. I had no idea where my life was. I had no idea what was going on. We talked, me and Shirley talked to somebody at the funeral the other day, and that's all Friday, and they kept telling us all the problems they had and all the troubles, and we kept telling them, trust Jesus. Put your hands back in Jesus. He's the answer. On down in Jeremiah 5.25. Last part I'm going to say about Jeremiah. But I want you to hear this one verse. In Jeremiah 5.25, he says, Your iniquities have turned away these things. Your sins have withholden good things from you. Listen to me, Christian. You want to know what's wrong with the church? They're into sin. And while we're into sin... The good things of God are being withheld. God's not blessing evil. He's not blessing the enemy in your home. He's not able to come in and just overlook those sinful things that he's already tried to deal with you. He brings the conviction to your soul. But we have blindly said no to God so many times in the churches that God is not welcome in the church. Don't come in here and convict me about my life. Don't tell me I need Jesus. I'm a good person. I don't do a lot of the things a lot of other people do. You know, there ain't none of us good. We're all leaning on Jesus every day. 2 Corinthians, one verse, chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, verse 10. You've heard this scripture. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. Now, I'm going to get on something. I want you to hear this. It says, godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. Then it says, not to be repented of. What does that mean? I never came to God and said, God, I wish you hadn't convicted me about this stuff and cleaned me up and made me see it better. See, we don't come to God that way, do we? We don't go to God and say, I wish you'd have just left me. I was happy in my sin. No, we're happy when God shows us our sin and sets us free. So when godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, I don't turn around and say, Lord, you should have just left me. I was a good old sinner. I enjoyed myself being a sinner. No, see, God got on my case, and he's been working on me all my life. Praise God. He's trying to help you put to death that old man and all of his deeds. And every time the enemy comes knocking at your door, repent. It, you know, temptation is not the sin. It's the acting on the sin. It's the acting on the temptation. I don't think anybody in here, no matter how much you stare at me, can not understand what I just said. I know. I feel like hiding under this pew. But can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit will speak to you about what's wrong in your life. And I thank him because my heavenly father loves me enough to say, don't do that. Don't go there. He convicts my heart and my mind and my soul, and he tells me, get away from this. 
This is not of me. world is bidding hard. The church is falling in a lot of places because they quit letting the Holy Spirit convict them of what's going on. Conviction is the act of proving or declaring guilty. It's the act of convincing a person. It's a firm belief. Do you have a conviction about something? You have a firm belief about that. that that's wrong. You have a conviction about it. So don't quit trying to let the devil tell you it's going to be all right. Everybody else is doing it. If it's wrong, you stay before God with it. In Romans 6.23, the Bible says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Becky, come on back up, whoever's playing. It says, The wages of sin is death. You know what? How many has ever heard that scripture? How many is afraid of that scripture? Because there ought to be a fear that rises up in you when you realize the wages of my sin is death. Now, you know what? I'm not trying to blow it up. I'm trying to tell you what it is. When God has a word written down, the wages of sin is death. Death is not something you're living for. Hear what I'm saying. You get saved to live eternally. But if you have the wages of sin going on in you, death is still knocking at your door. And death will get you because sin is getting you. And the wages of it is death. I'm not your judge. not trying to be. I look at myself and I have to search myself. Oh, Lord, I want to live with the gift of life in me. I want this eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you keep living for Christ and he's Lord of your life, guess what? You're not, you're not following after the wages of sin. You're not following after your sin because those two don't fit in the same house. And this is the house that the Savior is going to live in. Now I'm going to go to a scripture you hardly ever hear about, but I'm going to give it to you. Because the Bible's talking about a death. Some of us believe you just die once and that's it. But there's a second death. And I'm going to read you about it. It says in the 20th chapter of Revelation, verse 14, the, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. What am I saying? That means if you're caught in the sin, if you are going to sin and the wages of sin is death, death means you're separated from God. Death means you're under judgment. And guess what happens to death and hell? They get cast into the lake of fire that's going to burn forever and ever and ever. And you're not going to call on God and say, I'm sorry, I knew better. I'm sorry. You know what? It's too late. 
I'm trying to tell you your separation of death that we go bury people in the grave. The only way we have to look forward to it is knowing we'll see them again. But the wages of sin, the sin in you, and the power of the law that says sin, that if you break this sin, you're going to die in your sin, and you're going to be judged for it. But now if you've been separated, guess what? It's going to happen in the end. Jesus coming back and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire and that's the second death. When you get cast in the lake of fire, there ain't no talking to God about it. You've already accepted the wrong way and you've gone too far. Two deaths. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you just saying, well, I want to be a Christian and I want my ticket to go to heaven. But I can't live this. It's just too hard. It costs me too much. world's bidden too hard. All my friends are doing it. I want to do it. Listen to me, the enemy is lying to people. He's under the same judgment. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. The second death. We ought to be afraid of sin. We ought to be fearful to sin and leave it alone and act like it don't mean nothing. There ought to be a fear in you. God's people know better. God's people know. They, they will not come in here and tell me we have to accept the homosexual way. We're not coming here accepting the transgenders and giving them a parade in here. We're not going to do a lot of these things. We're not going to accept abortion in here. We're not accepting any of those things that God's word preaches against. Okay? And it ain't because we're any better than anyone else. I just know what the lying devil has done. And I see what he's trying to do. And you may say to yourself, well, I did the best I could all my life. Let me tell you something. You got somebody, like grandson, somebody's looking at your life. And it matters what you do. That's why God gave you life. To be an example. Last verse. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Oh, he was near today. Ain't it good when the Holy Spirit begins to flow and you're sitting there saying, oh, I wish I could go up there. I wish they would, uh, would understand that I need to go up there. I need for Jesus to come into my life and forgive me. I need to be a child of God. I need to have that secureness of his presence in me. It says, call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Praise God. That's good news. I don't know about you. But it don't matter who you are, what you've done, how many times you failed when the Holy Spirit deals with your heart and tells you, I've got sin in my life. Guess what you do? 
you bring it to Jesus, he says, I'll abundantly pardon you. Uh, he, what he died for. He sits at the right hand father. That's what he laid his life down for. Don't you know we serve a God that calls us his own before the Father every day. Every day we get up. Don't ignore him. Don't put him aside. Don't say this holiness is too much. No, if it takes some digging, some striving, some crawling, if it takes bearing the cross that I got to bear, oh God. See, I might bear things you never had to deal with. You might just grin at that and say, oh, that don't mean nothing. I don't have no problems with that area. But others have problems. Some people have a hard time on the road keeping their attitude right. I'm one of them. Yeah. I know. Bob, it's rough when you get around the city. You got to watch them people. They're in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> They're in a hurry. But you know what? Every one of us go through things that really bother us. You know what? You got to get victory over it. You got to fight it off. You got to say, Lord, I give this to you. I don't want the enemy to get some kind of hand in there of me. I don't want no stronghold in me. I don't want no bitterness set up. I don't want the enemy to have an upper hand on anything I got. Praise God. Everybody stand. church has fell into adulterating the relationship with the Heavenly Father. Is that too hard? See, I look at the word adulterate and I realize we've diminished this walk with God. We have acted like we can do what we want. God will forgive us. God is still God. He's a judge. He's a righteous judge. He loved us so much he sent his son to lay down his life, to give us life. But he's not toying with sin. That's why he let his son die. To defeat sin. And if we don't turn it back over to him, the fear of the wages of sin will scare you all your life. But you don't have to live in that. You bring it to Jesus. He forgives. He abundantly pardons. Praise God for his grace. If you need to pray, you come while they sing. I know there are things in life you think he can't forgive. But he'll forgive.
Jesus said it. He said, go and sin no more. But back in John, 1 John, he said, if we sin, if a man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. I know as a Christian what it means to be guilty. To be guilty, even as a Christian, of not obeying God. You know what it means. And that's why it says, and we do, we get down on ourselves, we get defeated, because we can't do this on our own. That's why it's so important to stay close to Him. It's so important to stay around God's people. I need encouraged in the Lord every day. I need to feel his presence. I need to hear his words. I need to hear his song sung. Because I know he's encouraging me. He's picking me up, showing me how to walk this day, every day. But we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus sets at the right hand. If we sin. Ain't you glad God wrote it down every way he wrote it? Because it gives us the way to get and keep ourselves in, in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Praise God.